Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hopevale. Why don't we stand together? We're going to sing a few songs together this morning. Freedom. 
Nothing shall be impossible. Here we go. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable, nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable, nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Great singing, guys. Welcome again to Hopevale. Uh, my name is Sam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and uh, we just love the fact that you joined us this morning here on this uh, 4th of July weekend. You are the faithful and true here this morning. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, why don't you go ahead and just kind of see who's around us and give everybody a high five and say happy 4th of July. on. Hey, how's everybody doing this morning? We're, uh, my drummer is having a little bit of a technical difficulty, so we're going to be okay with this, but uh, um, we just want to say happy 4th of July weekend to you, and uh, why don't we go ahead and have the ushers come forward, and we're going to take this morning's offering. God, we just uh, thank you so much for who you are and for your great love for us, and God, we just, um, we pray that um, through all of the things that, uh, that we encounter in life, the positives and negatives, God, that we would praise you in all of it. And God, we just we thank you for a weekend like this where we can um, remember the freedoms that we experience. Um, and uh, God, we ultimately know that the freedom, the true freedom that we experience is because of the cross of Jesus. And so may, may we remember that in the midst of all of it. And so God, I pray that, um, that your love would be the thing that would draw us back over and over and over again. To, uh, to worship you. And uh, as we spend some time this morning uh, giving back a little bit um, to what you have given us, God, we just want to use that as an opportunity to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.
we thank you for today we thank you for an opportunity to worship you there is no one 
higher than you. There's no one greater than you. There's, there's no kingdom on earth that's greater than yours. And so, God, we want to declare that this morning. We want to say thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for your kingdom that knows no end. And, God, we want to follow you all our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. It's great to have Pastor Sam and members of the Student Ministries worship team leading us this day on this uh, Sunday of Fourth of July weekend. And as he said, glad you're spending it with us. So I think in light of the holiday, we're going to start with this opening icebreaker question. If you're seated by someone, you can go ahead and uh, ask this question, all right? Fourth of July weekend, what is the most patriotic thing you're going to do, right, or have done this weekend, all right? Now, that's, you know, patriotic is in the eye of the beholder, right? What is, like, the most patriotic thing you're going to, maybe you're going to put out a flag or you have one out in your lawn, right? You're going to go see fireworks, maybe that's it, maybe you're going to um, you know, have a family cookout, uh, watch NASCAR, I don't know. There's something, you know, that's incredibly, you know, red, white, and blue. So go ahead, talk amongst yourselves. Okay, good. I, I wish I could kind of hear the answers because there probably are a couple doozies out there, right, of what you think is, is patriotic. But this is a great time, right, as we think about Fourth of July, as we think about our nation and being proud of our nation and loving our country. Because my guess is that just about everyone here, although maybe not everyone, we might have some international students, everyone here is, you know, a citizen United States of America. I mean, this is your country. You were born here, raised here. That's who you are. But that's not the case for everyone, you know, who is part of our country and maybe has to become a citizen. Because I think you know this, right? There is a citizenship test that if you want to become a citizen of the United States after certain residency and being screened and all that, you also have to take a test. And, um, I'm just going to say, I read the test. I'm glad I don't have to take the test, okay? So um, I thought it would be interesting, not that we're going to revoke your citizenship, okay, to see how well you do with some of the questions. So a couple of these are softballs. I, I think you better get them, okay? Here's the first question. How many stripes are there on the American flag, and what do they stand for? Talk amongst yourselves, right? You know this? Right? Right. 13, right? They stand for the number of the original states or colonies when the United States first put together. How many of you got that right? Good. All right. But I'm not keeping track. I just, you know, want to know. All right. Number two. What day? Okay, come on. What day do we celebrate our nation's independence? And independence from whom? Right? Okay. The answer of the day is July 4th, right? An independence from England. Now, I added that second one because I, I think for some of the younger people, um, you know, you saw that movie Independence Day, and you might think it's independence from aliens, but <laughs> that is, is not, not how it went down, okay? It was actually independence from England. Uh, this next one might be a little trickier. Number three. What year was the Declaration of Independence signed, and where was it signed? The year? Yeah, in Philadelphia. How many knew it was in Philly, right? Okay, they had cheesesteaks afterwards. It was a great, yeah. No, you'd think, I think kind of the natural thing is you know, Washington, D.C., right? And yeah, but it's in Philly. Okay, just a couple more. Um, this one isn't so much about the Declaration of Independence. This is about the Constitution. According to the Constitution, a person must meet three certain requirements in order to become eligible to become president. Name one. Three of them. Okay. Here we go. Let's see the answers. Natural born U.S. citizen. 
How many knew that, right? Yeah. At least 35 years of age and at least 14 years of current U.S. residency. I'm not sure I knew that last one. I had to kind of dig for that one. Which led me to this next question. This isn't part of the test, but I think it's worthwhile. What other requirements should we add before the presidential election this November, right? Oh my, can we get a few in there? Natural born, you know, natural hair colors, I don't, you know, something like that. Maybe we can figure something out. Yeah, pretty good, but, you know, you should look at that sometime. It's really some interesting stuff there in terms of kind of some of the questions, and there are some that are really hard, but we come this weekend. It's our, you know, the nation, birth of our nation, and we celebrate tomorrow, July 4th. You know, think, do the math. I don't know if you put it together. 1776, 2016, 240 years, round number 240 years, which means in another 10 years, 2026, it'll be 250 years, and that'll be a huge, big celebration. And so, you know, I was thinking about that and thinking about the message and thinking about just talking about some of this with you today. I actually took some time to, to read through the Declaration of Independence this week. It's not a very long document, and I wanted to read through. And it's certainly one that I think all of us, and, and maybe it's been a long time, right, since U.S. history, government in high school class, whatever, right, that we would have read through it. And certainly we're familiar with that, you know, cornerstone statement of the Declaration, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, so that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, you talk about a concept that really runs through the thread of our nation's history, that really set the tone for the U.S. Constitution, an idea that heavily influenced Abraham Lincoln as he fought for the abolition of slavery and then still is something that we fight for today. And it's this hallmark statement. Some say it's one, if not the most well-known statement in the English language, right? And it really is important for us as U.S. citizens. But it was interesting, because as I read through the Declaration of Independence, it's actually just a small part of the larger document that actually the, 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 the bulk of the document is a list of complaints. It's an airing of grievances, 27 to be exact, right? That the founding fathers had against King George III in England, written not only to him, but really to a watching world about things like, you know, unnecessary military presence in the states, about, you know, excessive taxation, about unfair due process of law, and things like that. And as you study history, the things that are brought up in the Declaration of Independence were actually raised with the crown before and, and with King George and saying, you know, we, we want you to address these, we want you to address these. And it got to the point, right, you can say, you, you keep on ignoring us, right? We want these changes made, we've had enough, and so we are no longer going to submit to the rule of a tyrant, right? That's it. Done. Settled. We are making our Declaration of Independence. And what's interesting about the document is actually the words Declaration of Independence are not in the document. It's not the heading. It's not in the body anywhere. But it's what we know, right? And it's really what, again, laid the foundation for our nation. And there was this sense, right, where there was no respect for King George as a ruler, his, his harshness, his unwillingness to listen, his... Um, you know, oppressive rule. And I, I thought about that, right? Because in our own lives, we have relationships with authority, and sometimes there are points where we get to the point where it's like we've had enough, right? And I just thought about some ideas in our own life of what I would call personal declarations of independence. And maybe this is part of your life story, right? Moving out at a certain age, being raised in a dysfunctional home, where, you know, when you were really young, you just thought it was normal to have this, you know, excessive fighting or drinking or, you know, maybe just really whacked out stuff. And then you started meeting other people and other families, and you're like, wow, this isn't right. And you made your break. Or quitting a job with a hostile boss 
again, after a while, you're like, I, I don't deserve to be treated this way. The harshness and the rough tone, or getting out of an abusive marriage. It's sad to think about, but it happens, and maybe some of you have been through that. Or even escaping a toxic religious environment that you were part of another church or religious community where, I mean, the authoritarian rule of whoever was in charge, I mean, telling you, you know, what you could wear and where you could be when and just a list of long, long rules. And after a while, you're kind of going, wait a minute, this isn't right. And there are those times in life where we need to make that break where we need to no longer submit ourselves to that kind of authority. It can be healthy. It can be a good thing. But, now here's the asterisk, right? It's different. And personal independence isn't always for our best, right? What happens when you say, you know, I'm no, you know, we can become more guarded and less trusting of others, Right? Independence is a good virtue, but independence can lead to isolation. It can lead to stubborn arrogance, right? Where we're convinced we're always right about everything and we can't be taught by anyone else. And so the, when we kind of choose to say, no, I'm going to go my own way, I'm not going to listen to what you have to tell me, it's not always a good thing, right? Now, maybe you've seen where I'm going with this because it gets really sticky now when you think about what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian, right? Because there is an authority relationship that we have, the almighty living God. And so what are we going to do and how are we going to live with him? In dependence or independence, right? So there's a verse that is going to set the tone for everything we're going to talk about today and think about. 1 John 5, verse 3, it says this. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. So that God is a ruler, God is king. There is no one greater, there is no one higher than our God, right? And he has rules, he has guidelines, he has directions for our life. And the Apostle John says to Christians then and now that the way you show your love for God is to keep his commands, to um, not reject his authority and direction in your life, but to follow it. Now, there's a couple things we need to, to unpack with this verse, right? And the first thing is this, that John is writing to Christians, okay? John is writing to Christians, and what's important to understand that is, as it says here, obedience or keeping the commands is not how you gain a relationship with God, it's how you grow a relationship with God. And I want to bring that up because I think some of us, we grew up in churches or grew up with the thought that, well, you know, the way that I can please God, the way that I can make him happy is to keep the rules, and if I can keep the rules, you know, well enough, if I can do good enough, if I can be good enough, then God will accept me. But that is not the role, according to Scripture, of obedience. That keeping the commands of God is not how you gain a relationship with God, but it is how you grow a relationship with God. That once you are in a relationship with God, then obedience is important. And so how do you get in a relationship with God? Well, we know this is what the gospel is called, that a relationship with God comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. That Jesus, the Son of God, succeeded where we failed. And so it is because of his perfect life and his sacrificial death. Those things lead to our forgiveness. Now, when you think about keeping the commands of God in in, in obedience, I'm going to get a little kind of theologically geeky here because, you know, scholars talk about two types of obedience that Jesus had, his active obedience and his passive obedience, that the active obedience of Jesus is his ability ever since birth to perfectly keep the law of God. Thought, word, deed, motive. Jesus was able to do that. No one else who's ever walked the face of this earth, man, woman, boy, or girl, can make that claim, but Jesus did. And it's because of his perfect record that the cross matters. His sacrificial death matters because he is able then 
to be a substitute for our sins. And so the active obedience of Jesus is him living this perfect life. The passive obedience of Jesus is him dying on the cross in our place for our sins in obedience to what God had for him, even though we know, as reading from Scripture, that Jesus could have called it off, that he could have either at his arrest or actually, you know, when he was hanging from the cross, called a legion of angels to rescue him, right? If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. He was taunted. Well, he could have. But out of obedience, he stayed and remained. And his perfect life, his sacrificial death, lead to our forgiveness. So when we talk about, you know, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, um, we're talking about those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith in him. And everything that we sing today, everything we're talking about, is based on this gospel message. And, and my prayer for you is that if you've never seen God that way before, if you've never really understood the Christian faith before that way, that you would receive this gift of God's love for you, of his forgiveness for you, of what Jesus did for you, succeeding where you and I have failed. And so instead of trying to win God over through perfect behavior, we accept what Jesus has done for us. And this is what allows us to enter into a relationship with God, right? But once we're in that relationship with God, and once we read this statement, you know, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, we do our best to do it, but let's face it, it's a struggle. It is a struggle because for us to keep God's commands, it's not a given, okay? We have independence, according to Scripture, running through our veins, not only as Americans, but also as members of the human race, as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We go back to our very first parents, our, you know, our descendants, our ancestors, right? That, that because of their rebellion against God, there is something inbred in us, this inbred selfishness that fights against us showing our love for God that really isn't quite sure that we really all the time want to do what God tells us to do, right? As Christians, there is an internal struggle, here we go, between trying to love God versus not wanting to relinquish control of our lives, right? That's the famous toddler line, you're not the boss of me, God, right? I might, you know, right? And, and so this is the struggle. Yes, as Christians, we want, want to love God, but there's that part of us that doesn't want to let go of control, of calling the shots, of handing the keys over to him, so to speak, right? And so I'm assuming, as, as those of you who are believers in Christ and we're singing these songs of worship to God, that there is a desire to want to honor God, to want to keep his commands, right? Because you want to love him. What does Jesus say the greatest commandment is? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So how do I love you, God? Is it by going to church, by singing songs of love, by having loving feelings? Well, you know, that may be part of it. But here and elsewhere, John says, well, it's actually obedience. It's actually keeping God's command. So how do we do that, and how can we do that better? You know, if you study the Bible, you'll see that there are three factors, right? For those of us who really do want to honor God through our, our obedience, there's three factors. The first is this. Is there's a knowledge factor, a head factor, right, where I know what God wants me to do. You can't keep his commands if you don't know what he's commanding you to do, right? what he's telling you to do. And so in the anger series, for instance, we, we looked at scripture where there are commands about anger. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold, Paul says to us in Ephesians, right? There are commands of how we are to handle our anger, right? To get rid of it, he says elsewhere, right? And so there are some commands, but how are we really to know what God wants us to do unless... We understand where he's, and where do we find that? Primarily the Bible. That's why week by week we want to teach out a scripture here on Sundays, why we offer classes during the year, why we encourage you to join a community group where discussion of the Bible happens, because this is where we understand God's will for our life. This is where he spells out his commands, right? And so if you want to love God more, if you want to pursue, do a better job of keeping his commands, you've got to know what he wants you to do. There is a knowledge component, a head component. There is also a heart component. 
right? You not just need to know what God wants you to do, but you, want, you gotta want to do it. It's the heart. This is where it gets hard, where there is this internal struggle, where there's this battle of what Paul talks about, our old nature and our new nature. Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we're clean in the sight of God, but we, we, we're not delivered fully from this struggle of surrendering to God and wanting our own way, right? And so the key to give us new desires, fresh desires, is the indwelling Holy Spirit and us responding to him. And we saw in the anger series, again, the fruit of the Spirit is born in things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. When we yield to those things, we yield to the Spirit, right? And so desire, God changes our desires. This part of being the new covenant, I will take your heart of stone, this hard, you know, unresponsive heart and give you a heart of flesh, soft, responsive, willing to hear to change, to grow. So there is a head component, there's a heart component, there's also a hands component. There is an ability, right? You gotta know what God wants you to do. You gotta want what God wants you to do. And then you gotta be able to do what God wants you to do. This is where growth in the Christian life happens. This is where maturity, you can see here, sustained obedience over time, right? This is how God grows us. Walking with God over time matters, right? The Christian life is not trusting in Jesus as your Savior and just then, you know, paddling water and waiting for heaven. No, it's growing. And as we grow, we become stronger. I've used this analogy before. Sometimes we have temptations in our way, and they're 100-pound temptations, but maybe we're weak and young in our faith, and we can only lift 50, right? And so there is a temptation of wanting to do the right thing, and yet what we're faced with or the choice is just too strong, too overwhelming, we can't handle it. But over time, as we grow, as we um, follow God and his commands, our ability to respond grows as well, right? So there are these three components that come together, and this is all part of how you and I grow as Christians, and what we know, and what we desire, and what we're able to do. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commandments. And these are three ways, three factors that influence that. Now, when I shared 1 John 5, verse 3 with you, I left out the last part. And I think this is a genius last part on John's part. He says this, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. I am so glad he added that. It's, it's almost as if John was anticipating these internal objectives, or objections, right? Where we're kind of like, okay, yeah, God, I want to follow you. Yeah, I want to obey you. Yeah, I want to show my love for you. But how to just keep the rules? Sounds like a drag. That doesn't sound like freedom. That sounds like bondage, right? It sounds like the bondage of the colonists to just follow the rules of the tyrant. And John says, well, wait a minute. It's different because his commandments, they're not burdensome. They, they don't weigh you down. They're actually liberating. See, here's what you need to understand about God's commands. God's commands are for our good. Therefore, our good and genuine faith believes that God knows more than we do, right? He knows more than we do, and he has our best in mind. Do you believe that about God? That he's smarter than you and that he actually wants the best for you? Because if you do, if you understand that, then it's really going to change, right? Your view on Scripture and what he says about things like how to handle your money, how to treat people in your family, how how to live an honest life, how to resist the temptation of greed and lust and other, right, pulls away from loving God. Genuine faith believes that God knows more than we do and that he has our best in mind. And if we need any evidence, we look to the cross because the cross proves his wisdom for us and his benevolence toward us. The cross is genius. The cross is the only way for God to rescue sinful people like you and me while still keeping his holiness and justice. 
And God was able to do that. And he did it. Why? Because he had our best. And he didn't have to. He wasn't obligated to send his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, but he did. And so when we look at these commands, as hard as they may look, as scary as they may look, we need to understand that God knows what he's doing and that he has our best in mind. There's a passage that I love that I think is just really transformational. You know, Psalm 119 talks all about the power of God's word as a guiding influence in our lives. And in Psalm 119, verse 35, we read this. This is just a prayer to God. God, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Help me to walk according to your ways, because there's the path of joy. There's the freedom. There's the delight. See, obeying God leads to joy, not drudgery. Obeying God leads to freedom, not oppression. God isn't King George III. God isn't your abusive ex. God isn't, you know, your, your, your whacked out boss. He's none of these things. And we need to get to that point where, God, okay, I'm going to trust you with my life. And what's written in your word, you know, maybe there are people around me that aren't doing it. Maybe they're actually, you know, saying that, boy, you, you, your desire to follow scripture seems so out of step with modern times. And this is where faith comes in, where you go, no, this is the pathway to freedom. This is the pathway to fulfillment, not frustration. And you know what, what's so interesting about that is, you know, we live in this, this world, and I, what I'm going to say, this is a little soapbox, so just, right? Follow your dreams. It's a little overrated. It really is. I'm not saying, you know, that you shouldn't desire more in your life or whatever, but, you know, follow God. Follow the, God, the dreams that God places into your heart because that's where you're going to find fulfillment. You pursuing what you think is going to make you happy apart from the will of God is not going to fulfill you. It's only going to frustrate you. It really is. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. And when I read that word burdensome, right, when we think about living a heavy, worn-out life, I think of the words of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened by life. You're carrying it all, right? See, sometimes in our pursuit to live independently, we just, fit, we just think it's about us. We're all on our own, so we're going to carry life's burdens on our own. And you know what that does? It wearies us. It burdens us. It tires us out. And I'm not just talking about physically. I'm talking about soul fatigue. And Jesus says, you want rest? You know, come. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. keeping the commands of God and striving to do that is refreshing. It's fulfilling, not frustrating. And Jesus goes on, verse 29, verse 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I'm not a, a, you know, a, a taskmaster. I'm not a slave driver. I'm gentle and humble in heart. I have your best in mind. Come with me. Be yoked with me. Let me lead you because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is the freedom that comes in following God. You know, you think about this weekend, which is a celebration of love for country, and that's awesome. I mean, that's great. It really is. But love for God is even better. And so as you think about this week, as you think about your summer, as you think about your year, I just want to leave you with this question, right? In light of 1 John 5, 3, what will help you love God more? Right? What's going to help you love God more? Maybe loving God more is going to require more knowledge. Maybe it's going to require stronger desire and leaning on the leading of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's greater ability that you just need to, you know, be patient and persevering and endure in the Christian life. Or maybe 
It's a matter of, matter of total surrender. That you, you're holding an area back from the Lord because you're like, yeah, I'll believe you in this, this, and this, but no, I'm going to stay independent on this, right? And the Christian life doesn't work that way. It doesn't work selective obedience, you know. Here are ten things, choose eight, right? No. Total surrender is that step of faith where you say, yes, God knows more than I do, and I believe he has my best in mind. And so as followers of Jesus, as those who are first loved by God, we think of this pathway to freedom. 1 John 5, verse 3. Let's say this together. Repeat after me. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. They're the pathway to life and freedom. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that this echo in our heart, this longing in our heart to know and love and worship you, that you don't leave us alone with that, that you give us your word, you give us a playbook. You give us a pathway to follow. And Father, we pray that we would as a way to show our love for you. God, for each one of us, we're coming in the journey. And and Lord, I know for me, sometimes it feels like as a Christian, I'm kind of this three steps forward, two steps back kind of guy. And just thank you for your grace and your patience. But Lord, wherever you have each one of us, give us a strong desire to want to know you more and lead us to a place of wholehearted surrender, believing that you've got our best in mind. Father, thank you for everyone here, and I thank you that you can take one message like this and apply it to each one of us, wherever we may be with you, that we would find the joy and the fulfillment, and the freedom that comes in obeying the commands of our God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand together? Um, So this is our our student ministry band. These are some people that lead in it, and we wanted to end off today's service in just kind of a celebratory way, kind of draw you into a little bit of our world and how we do worship in student ministry. So if you know this song and you know the words, sing along. If you don't, um, just clap along and, and have fun with it. Okay, here we go.
everything we do, whether it's singing, you know, praying, just living life, being with family and friends, we do it for the Lord. And that's why we gather here, and it's why we go out and live for Jesus. Great to have you here. Next week, we will begin our Heroes series, our summer series. Actually, Pastor Sam's going to be taking the message next week. I'll be singing. We'll switch. No! No! So just kidding. We want you to come back, okay? So looking forward to that. But as you go from here, may the blessing of God be upon your life. Have a great Fourth of July weekend.